All right, check one, mic check two. What do you think, Anna? You want to check anything else? You okay? Hello, check, check, one, two, three. She's so gentle. Her voice is so gentle. I know, that's why he didn't want us to share him. But that's okay. They don't need to hear All right, so the intro rolls. Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is the Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Hey, everybody, you are listening to a bonus episode, and we are very excited to have you here today. So, I have a couple of questions that were sent in for you, Bob. A.K.A. Dad. <laughs> it's fun. Um, and the first one is, was the Bible not meant to be read without the context of a greater narrative? And the question goes on to explain how you've mentioned rabbis telling this big, long narrative, like kind of what you're doing now. And if this might be the reason it's so hard to read the Bible because it's very dull without this epic narrative. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so I guess the short answer to the question would be, wait, how was it for Anyways, this, yes, it is designed to be part of a, a greater narrative. It's designed to be spoken about as a conversation and something you interact with. You're supposed to have a relationship with it, just like we do with God. He's a relational God. He wrote a, he wrote things down so that people would have to be in relationship in order to connect. I think what happened historically is coming out of the Middle Ages, we moved into what's considered the scientific age, right? The, the modern era. And science, in its passion, wants to always boil things down to its lowest common denominator. And eventually that leaked into the study of God's word and in their desire to form agreements and unity, they, they being leaders within the church, theologians decided to um, focus in on what everyone could agree on, on the actual written word. So you had the, the council of uh, the Nicene Council that put together the canon. People started studying, you know, where all these, where all, each word came from and the meaning of each word. And eventually it actually caused way more division than anybody can ever imagine. And it's, uh, I think, a corrective measure. Not that everything in the postmodern movement is wonderful, but I do think that it's helping those the, theologies to be corrected in bringing them back a little bit from the scientific aspect because I don't think it was designed to be broken down scientifically. It can be, and clearly a lot of people have it, and we've learned a lot of things from it, and I don't I don't think it was evil to do it, but I do think it's corrective to bring it back into a narrative uh, context. All right. So you heard it. You heard it from him. Straight straight answer. There you go. 
can't be any clearer. Cannot be any more confused. Um, (laughs) No, it's a good, it's, I mean, not a straightforward answer because it's kind of like one of those questions that for each individual, some people might say that the Bible is the most exciting book they've ever read. So it's like, well, some people find it dull or hard to read, but others don't. Anyway. Here we go. So our second question is actually kind of a repeat and seems to be something our our listeners are holding on to, which is this concept of self-rejection in Saul. And here we go. How do you help someone with self-rejection like Saul? How did Lori work through it in her life? You mentioned that um, your wife, Lori, my mom, had dealt with this and... Um, yeah, so that, how do you how do you help someone? Well, I'm glad you asked because there's actually three simple steps and you'll be done. <laughs> Not true. Not true. It's uh I wrote a self-help book. <laughs> wrote a self-help book. Uh, please subscribe to my I'm sorry. Uh, uh serious It's a serious issue, self-rejection. And I think it's why when when for me, when I was studying and reviewing and rehearsing the character of Saul, self-rejection, my interactions with people who who deal with self-rejection, so like it all fit. And so, walking out of self-rejection for me is a journey um, of identity. Right? Saul, Saul had a great heart for God. Saul had. Um, it was, you know, highly intelligent, like he was fully qualified to be king. But lies that he started to believe as a child impact impacted him. He just kept believing them. Even though, uh, and again, I, I know I go through it a lot, but, you know, within the, within the storyline, I see constant reminders from God that Saul, you are good. Saul, you are enough. Saul, you you can do this. Saul, I'm with you. Saul, I haven't forsaken you. And Saul sees those words of encouragement. He sees those activities of God, and yet he walks away. And the little lie that he started to believe as a child is now that much bigger. And he takes the encouragement from God, and then he, ultimately he rejects it. He rejects what God created him to be because he believes he has evidence to prove otherwise. And for me, the journey and, and the, you know, each individual is different because it can take seemingly it could take weeks for some people and years for others. The journey is every time those lies of, of a false identity come up, you have to practice rejecting it with the truth of who you are and interwoven into those lies is this false self that you've also created that you eventually have to slowly put to death or maybe immediately put to death. But it's very scary because it's, it's safe. It's who you created yourself to be. It's who you want others to think you are so that there's, there's no um, questioning. There's no exposure. There's no fear like what if they ask me the you know uh, the, the questions and I have to I have to give answers I don't know who I am I'll make them think I'm this man that that's a that's a part of the journey as well it goes on and on and I know 
I'm going on and on on this answer, but it really is a journey of of finding the lie and replacing it with the truth. And man, it takes it it can take a long time to learn to learn to practice that, and then eventually it becomes second nature and only occasionally pops up. There, that's what I got. Not too bad. That's <laughs> how you get rid of self-rejection. Yeah, the spirit of self-rejection always gives you a promise, and its promise is if you reject yourself, no one can reject you because you already rejected yourself. So problem solved, right? Well, it, it makes you believe that there's a, mm-hmm. there's a sense of uh, control, you know, and that's, that's what we're really getting rid of is that control by being true to yourself. Boom. Well done, my daughter. My goodness, you're awesome. I was raised by this man, so, you know. Um, okay, here we go. Our next question is one of my favorites I think I've ever seen, and it is, could you talk more about and around the people dying when they break rules around God's stuff? Like touching or opening the ark um, and... Are these rules man-made or God-made? Now, why is that one of your favorites? <laughs> okay. So, this is my favorite because I was listening to the podcast and I was <laughs> kind of frustrated with my dad because I was like, you're not saying the point because he kind of introduced this concept, this question right here was in my own mind. I'm like, wait, what does he believe happened? Does he believe that God made rules and people die when they break them? Or does he believe that Satan came in and killed this guy? Like, real quick in the shadow, nobody noticed. Satan popped up and, like, stabbed him and walked away. Like, what picture was it? I got really confused, and I wanted a clear answer, so I'm really happy that somebody else reached out with a similar (laughs) question. I mean, it's more broad stroke, because I think this could apply to all these questions like why why do some people die when they break the rules versus yeah, yeah. others sorry <laughs> yeah so here we go here we go we get the answer finally i know i've been on the edge of my seat waiting as well nice well uh <laughs> the short answer is no i do not believe god kills people and uh, I think I'm fairly consistent with that concept when I'm telling stories, but I do know that it's very, it's not a concept that a lot of people, uh, have heard before and, and those who hear it often reject it because they have their own issues. But for me, when Uriah reaches out and touches the ark, there's a, there's a, there's a, in essence, a rule that's been broken that was set up with Moses regarding only Levi's being allowed to carry the ark only and the ark you know is supposed to be carried a certain way and the judgment that came upon him wasn't a judgment from God it was a judgment in that the enemy satan comes in and he says all right you broke the rules that gives me access to do something here that access I think he killed Uriah 
in the moment because he knew that that would destroy the parade that was going on that was celebrating and worshiping God. And, and so he took the only advantage he had and he created a huge episode. And then we know that three months later, after David had done some research and realized what he had stepped into and opened himself up to, he corrected it. Only Levi's carried the ark. They carried it as they were supposed to. And of course, there was a huge celebration in street fair, and it was awesome, and it's a great story. But I think throughout Scripture, when you see death, I believe access came through disobedience uh, i.e. sin, i.e. breaking a, a rule, and not always a God rule. Sometimes it's a man-made rule, but they attach a curse to it. And God God says the power of life and death are in our tongue, and, and that power is legitimate. And we have to be really careful about what we say and, what, and whether we're going to speak blessing or cursing over people. So that's the uh, that's my answer for that. There we go. That's the clear answer I was hoping for when I listened to the podcast. I'm so glad everybody gets to join me on that clarity. Um, and we have one more question for this special bonus episode, and it is why when David made ungodly choices, was there no consequences seemingly? Hmm. Um, it seems like, these choices have no ill effect on David's life, like killing the man who mer- whose mercy killed Saul. Or, you know, I, I think there's a couple other examples, but that's the one that was given in this question, and I'm drawing a blank, and I can't come up with it. That's all right. That's all right. I know exactly <laughs> I, what you're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. like, what's going on? Why does David get to do all these bad things, you know, for freebies? Freebies. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Uh, so, uh, God is not a God of control. He's a God of love. And when it comes to, um, people, uh, the shortest answer is when Jesus was dealing with Peter in the garden and Peter, despite all of his training, uh, he decides to draw his sword and try and chop somebody's head off because he was going to control the situation. He was like, Jesus, Jesus needs my help. I need to take control of this. And he goes and he lops off the guy's ear because he ducked. And Jesus immediately steps in and says, Peter, those who live by the sword die by the sword. There are, there are consequences to trying to control things that you will reap what you sow. And David did reap what he sowed. Now, when he killed, he did kill the guy who killed Saul. He killed the guy... He killed several guys, just pronounced them to death. Uh, And again, I want to go into detail. That's what my pausing is. I don't want to go through it all because I've already done that in the actual podcast. But when 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 David pronounces judgment and death upon people, he pays for that. And if you watch his family and you watch the story, he reaps the violence that he has perpetrated on others because that's the that's as as good as he was and as awesome as his heart was and as focused as he was on on bringing heaven to earth through the worship of God that he experienced there he would succumb to this concept of control throughout his life 
And that concept of control created a negative environment that he reaped many times over uh, as he went forward. And especially the later his life goes on. And we'll get into that um, and continue to get into that uh, throughout the podcast. But he does reap it. He does reap um, what he sowed. And and it's it cost him more than just in his personal life. It cost his family. It cost uh, his wives. It cost his, um, his country. All suffered because of the the violent control that David at times felt like evidently thought and and believed he needed to execute on people in order to maintain the momentum of, of this kingdom that he was creating. He didn't have to, but he believed that lie that he needed to in the moment and he paid for it later. There you go. You have to keep listening to find out the demise of David. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. Okay. Well, that's all the questions we have for today. Thank you, everyone who has sent in questions. Continue to do so because you never know when your question will get on the air. It's like five seconds of fame. Is that the same? five seconds five minutes ago. i don't know um there's songs about it i'm sure but thanks for listening everybody and we'll catch you next time on epic narrative bye everybody hey everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com See you next week, guys.